Hey there and welcome to Soul Church. Our prayer is that this message encourages you wherever you may be in life. You know, we've been hearing so many stories about what God is doing in people's lives and we'd love to hear yours. So take a second and send your story to stories at soulchurch.com. Thanks again for joining us today and we hope that you enjoy the message. God bless. Luke chapter four, he stood up to read, everyone's standing. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And we all said together, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. You are all very, very, very obedient today. I like that. Come on, let's give the worship team a hand as they sit down as well. What a blueprint for 2023. His spirit, his favour, his rest. And that's, that's our year. That's the year we have. And can't believe we're first of March this week. Goodness me. Easter and then Christmas, then Vision Sunday, I have to come up with another word. I mean, it's all happening. Then we move into the new church. March the 10th. Okay, I'm going to keep telling you that date, March the 10th. And uh, so don't go to Butlins. Um, March the 10th, we're going to be moving into our new home. Okay, I want to just share, just let me pray and then we'll, we'll uh, share the share what God's laid on my heart for today. Also want a big, big welcome to those who are watching online all over the world. People are tuning in today. Would you put your hands together and welcome our online Soul Church community. <laughs> drop, us a little, uh, drop us a little message in the chat. Let us know where you're watching from today, whether it's Dis or gave the guys from Dis. A guy came up to me last week. He goes, I'm from Dis. I said, no hard feelings, okay? There's nothing wrong with Dis. We love, we love Dis people. Um, Let's pray before I say something I'm going to regret and get cancelled. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your grace. We thank you today. We're found in your house. We pray as we, uh, we receive from the word today that you would feed us. And you wouldn't just feed us, Father God. You would help us as we apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me share a passage today from Luke's Gospel. It's the most taught passage in the whole of the Bible. Um, I think it's probably the most uncomfortable story on favour that there is. Um, I'm going to give some context, then I'll read the, read the story. A crowd gathers around Jesus. Now, Jesus speaks in parables. What is a parable? If you're new to church, a parable was everyday stories. Jesus didn't have Insta stories. He had to use Insta, sorry, you have to use everyday stories to illustrate his sermon. And everyday language was the language that people understand. One of the things that I try to do as I bring God's word is, first of all, who are my audience? Will they understand it? Have they been coming to church for one week? Have they been coming to church for 50 years? And a lot of people from different backgrounds, cultures, contexts in the room. So when I'm speaking, I'm trying to use everyday language to help you understand the Bible. The Bible can be a difficult read, especially if you're reading an older version of the Bible. But in church, we try and help you understand it and put it into practice everyday language. And so a crowd gathers around Jesus. And in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus talks about three lost things. He talks about a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. I've never lost a sheep. 
I've lost plenty of coins and I once lost my son. Okay, I once lost my son, we were in Sainsbury's, and who's ever lost their son or daughter in a supermarket or shop or a mall or something? Who knows in that moment your heart just goes, Woof. and I was in Sainsbury's and uh, getting some pickled onions, and as I was getting my pickled onions, I look up and my son, he's like five years old, he's gone. And so like any father, okay, I just carried on shopping, thought he would come back. If it was my little girl, I'd been panicking, but my son, he'll, be, he'll work it out. And um, eventually, I called the security. They said, we'll check, we'll check, make sure they check the front door. Okay, we'll keep it. They said, good news, no one's come out of the shop, so he is in this place somewhere. So we rushed. Anyway, I eventually found my son, and he was hiding in the photo booth. You know, the passport photos? And he was having a whale of a time in there. He was pressing all the buttons. And the first thing he said to me is, Daddy, have you got three pounds? I thought I got more than three pounds for you, son. Anyway, that was a different story. And then as Jesus shares around the sheep and he shares around the coin and he shares around the lost son, we see a progression of value as he teaches. We see a sheep to a coin to a son. And in Luke chapter 15, we understand who his audience was. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. Two groups of people have gathered, as Jesus speaks. First group was the tax collectors and sinners. The second group was the religious people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And Jesus tells the story of a lost son. But it's not just a story to make us feel good. He was sending messages, subliminal messages, to, two, to, to both these groups of people. And it's really a story. It's called the prodigal son, but it's actually the story of two sons. The first son, which we're going to focus in on today, was the younger son. He was the wild one. He lived recklessly. And he used the, the younger son to speak to sinners. And the older son... He lived safely. He knew the law. He knew the rules. He worked hard. And he used that son to illustrate his point to the teachers, to the Pharisees. I think both sons were lost, but they were lost in different ways. Both rebelled against their father. Both wanted their inheritance. One played the long game. One played the short game. So I'm going to read this story in Luke chapter 11. It says, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, like this, and they wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed pigs. He would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put on him, 
Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring out the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he is found. What a story. Last week we we looked at Joseph. And we see some similarities between these stories. And what I understand with this is the younger brother, he wanted his immediate over his ultimate. He wanted his inheritance right now. Normally, you don't receive an inheritance until there's been a death in the family. So in the younger brother's eyes, his father was as good as dead. He had no cares for anyone in this world but himself. If I'd have gone to my father when he was alive at 18 and asked the question, can I have my inheritance now? I know what he would have said. No. Anyone else? It would have been a flat no. And the father... He knows his son. He knows his son more than anyone else on earth apart from God, and yet he still gives him his inheritance to squander. The dad does exactly the opposite to what you and I would do. Does anyone read that story and think, reckless father alert? I think we should put him on a parenting course. He could do the alpha parenting course and and learn how to raise a child. But the father knows something we don't. He has lost relationship with his son way before the son asks for his inheritance. Maybe it goes back years. Maybe they'd had a fallout as grown up. Maybe he didn't achieve in education what the father wanted. Maybe there'd been a bust up in the family. Maybe there'd been a physical fight. We don't know. But in order to win the heart of his son... He has to give him something even greater than the inheritance. He has to give him grace. Nobody knew his son better than he did. He knew what he was going to do with that money. If you gave a gambler money, you know exactly what he's going to do. He's going to squander that money and then come back and probably want some more. Yet the father feeds the habit of his son because he wants to show his son something even greater than money or inheritance. He wants to show him grace, which is undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor. And the younger son does exactly what the father knows he's going to do. He's probably a gambler, a drinker, and he runs away with the inheritance, and he squanders it on parties, drinking. And the young son, he ends up with nothing Or actually, he's about to end up with everything. He arrives home in a mess, expecting his dad to be mad. He expects a punishment. He expects a beating, maybe. In fact, in Eastern law, his son could have even been put to death for the shame and the embarrassment that he brought on the family name. And our world does exactly the opposite to this story. Our world says, do good, get good. Our world says, you invite me round for dinner, I'll repay you the favor, and you invite me round for dinner. I'll buy you a gift, you buy me a gift. Has anyone ever been bought a gift at Christmas? And you think, oh my goodness, I just wish they hadn't bought me a gift, because I never even thought about buying you a gift. And you scramble under the stairs for a present, or a hand-me-down, or you open a present on Christmas Day, and you think, oh, I'll wrap this and get this. Because we live in a world which love is transactional. You do something for me, I do something for you. Human love. 
Yet this story is far bigger than anything we can transcend or understand in our human mindset. I'll get this one, you get the next one. You do me a favor, I'll do you a favor. But Jesus challenges that mindset. He challenges the Pharisees. He challenges how we see grace and favor and love in this story. And Jesus was saying this. He was saying favor is unfair. I want to talk on the subject matter today. Unfair favor. Unfair favor. The Father's favor cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. And it cannot be merited. Is anyone grateful for unfair favor today? Is anyone thankful you didn't get what you deserve? Is anyone thankful that Jesus took your place? Is anyone grateful enough to say, I got it wrong, I messed up, yet the heavenly Father still loves me. He still accepted me today. Is anyone indebted to our Savior who says, I'm not here to judge you and point a finger at your shortcomings and your sin, but I want to say today, I want to bless you for who you are. You are my child. It's interesting that the father doesn't use words to communicate. The young son, he, he's, got, he's got like verbal diarrhea. But the father never says anything to the son. But he communicates his welcome home through a trio of actions. And the father displays three outlandish acts of unfair favor on his son. The same three acts of unfair favor our Heavenly Father shows to us. I want to just unpack these just in a few moments today. The first act of unfair favor is he places the robe of righteousness on the prodigal son. Verse 22 says, bring out the best robe and put it on him. In Eastern culture, a nobleman who his father was would have a a choice robe, a best robe. It would be ornate, it would be expensive, it would be embroidered, it would be one of a kind, it would be floor-length garment. It's going to come up on the screen. The highest quality of craftsmanship. It would cover him from top to toe. He didn't say, bring out a robe, he said, bring me my best robe. It was a garment so special as I studied the best robe, that a wedding, even of a child, would not, their own child would not have been uh, the right decision. It wouldn't be uh, enough to wear it on that day. Unless you were to stand before a king or a queen or a statesperson, you wouldn't ever wear your best robe. 2017, Chantal and I got invited to 10 Downing Street to meet Prime Minister Theresa May, and we were very honored. And I remember. We both went out and we bought brand new outfits because nothing we had, we felt in our wardrobe, wardrobe would warrant going into 10 Downing Street and meeting Theresa May. And let me tell you, my wife handled that moment brilliantly. For once in my lifetime, I was lost for words. I thought she was going to pray for her and give her a cuddle in one morning. Anyway, that's it. Let me tell you, she was a lovely lady. And the sun has been walking for days. He'd have been filthy, smelly. He'd been living with pigs. He'd been eating pig food. He'd be covered in mud and muck. He was bruised and battered. Yet the father, he calls for his best robe. I'd have been calling for someone to put the shower on. The father gives his son his best when he's at his worst. 
That's unfair favor. Doesn't even wait for his son to remove his filthy clothes, his rags. Uh, again, in Eastern culture, if you'd, been, if you'd have gone away from home and messed up, you'd have had to go through something called purification, gone into a purification bath, and for three days be cleansed from your mistakes and your choices. And as Jesus is speaking, you can imagine the Pharisees would have been angry at what he was saying. Because he was going against the rules, going against the law. But the Father longs to drape that exquisite rope robe of unfair favor over his son. And we get a glimpse, just a glimpse in the story of the righteousness that covers our filth and covers our stench and our sinful condition. I'd miss this, I've read this story for many, many years, but I'd miss this one part that it says, the father said to his servants, put it on him. This is the thing, we cannot make ourselves righteous. The father summoned the servants to put the robe. It wasn't any robe, it was the best robe. But he didn't have to put it on himself. Now here's the thing, when we get this thing wrong, when we mess up, when we sin, we can't make ourselves right. We can't put righteousness on it. We have to allow God to place his robe of righteousness, his robe of grace, his robe of unfair favor over our stench, stench over our sin, over our mess. The father shows his best when the son is at his worst. Isaiah 61.10 says, For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. It's not our works, it's His goodness. It's not our efforts, it's His unfair favor which covers our past, our present, and our future sins. The robe speaks of the Father's unfair favor towards His Son. There should have been a funeral that day, not a celebration. And when we grasp and understand the seriousness of the Son, and what he did, we grasp the magnitude of what the father did. Because like the younger son, I've wandered off and you've wandered off. We make mistakes. A few months ago, I did a message called Drift. So many people are drifting to and from church, in and out of faith, drifting away and to and from the Bible. Yet even when we wander, even when we drift, our heavenly father, he welcomes us back with a robe of righteousness. No matter what the son had done, no matter where he'd been, who he'd been with, his value to the father never changed. This is grace. This is the unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor of God. God's favor is not based on a deserved basis, but an unmerited basis. I don't deserve unfair favor. This story makes no sense in our world prodigal son on that long journey home. Have you ever messed up and you know you, you've got to communicate that mess up. Maybe it's your spouse or your children or your parent. You know when my children walk into the room, just the look in their eye, I know what that means. That either means I want a snack. <laughs> Daddy, I've messed up. You, before they even speak, you can just see the look, the body language, the posture. You can see these things. And the prodigal son on that long journey home, he must have been processing his mistakes, his choices. 
And the religious people, as Jesus was reciting this parable, he must have been, they must have been screaming. Make sure he puts it right. Punish him. Beat him. Yet Jesus has another Jesus has another way. Give him what he deserves. If you're taking notes, this is really key, that favor's number one enemy is religion. Favor's number one enemy is religion. Because religion always points out your mistakes. Religion always points out your failures. Who's grateful we don't serve a religious God? We serve a God who loves us with unmerited love. Religion looks for our faults and our failures. We must make it right. We must pay the penalty. But God's grace says the opposite. God knows all my shortcomings, all my faults, all my mistakes, yet he still loves me. He still positions me. He still uses me. God knows you more than anyone else, yet he says, you are still my son. You are still my daughter because God looks at you through the lens of the cross and he no longer sees your mistakes, your shortcomings. He sees the blood of his son and he says today, my son, my daughter, you are clean, you are free. To walk as a child of God. He places a robe of righteousness over you. Colossians 2.13 says, And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven. One word here, you ready? Some. A few. All your trespasses. Past present and futures. As believers in Christ, have I sinned? Yes. Will I sin? Yes. Am I a sinner? No. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Yes, we've all sinned. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But are you thankful for his grace and his mercy today? God's love and his forgiveness towards us is never ending. Lamentations 3.22. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The reason his mercies are new every morning isn't because he's gone soft on sin. Jesus didn't go soft on sin. He took your sin. He took your sin. The law of double jeopardy says you can't be punished twice for the same mistake. And Jesus, he cannot be punished again. He's already been punished. You are forgiven today. God has placed a robe of righteousness over you. Beaten, scorned, and finished. In his last words, he cried out, it is finished. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. Sin, shame, guilt, condemnation was finished at the cross of Calvary. Today you can walk in freedom, not because of what you can do, but because of what has already been done. You are free today in Jesus. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that him, in him we might become the righteousness of God. But I have a challenging question, and the question is this. Why does God keep forgiving me? Has anyone ever questioned, why do you keep forgiving me? I do. I've asked God that question a few months ago. He showed me the answer. Because he wants relationship with me. Why did the father forgive the son? 
because there was something even more powerful than inheritance and money and land and robes and rings and sandals. There was something even more powerful. It's called relationship. Why does Chantel keep forgiving me after 20 years of being together? Because her desire for a relationship with me is stronger than my mistakes. You can overcome any human mistake towards you if your desire for a relationship is stronger. Why does God keep forgiving me even though I keep messing up? Has any of you ever messed up and you say this prayer to God? God, please forgive me. I promise it'll be the last time I ever have this attitude. I will never speak like that again. I will never say that. I'll never look at that. I promise this is the very last time. Amen. And he's looking down from having him. <laughs> And then three months later. This is what grace is. And God says, the reason I keep forgiving you is because my desire is to have a relationship with you. And that relationship is stronger than your mistakes. And so today, there is nothing that you can do, there is nothing that you have done that will ever stop God loving you. Freedom. Religion wants to point out your mistakes, but today I've come here to point out God's grace. God's grace, God's grace. Receive his unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor because favor is unfair. Is anyone grateful now for unfair favor? Number one is the robe of righteousness. Number two, the second thing that the father asked the servants to do was the ring of restoration. He says, and put a ring on his hand. The son, first of all, he was made right standing with the father. And then he says, that's not enough. I want to restore you back into authority. In Bible times, Eastern law, when a king would write a law, he would pick, put ink on the paper, on the envelope, and they would press it in with his signet ring. And the ring marked the king's authority. It was a sealed, it was a covenant, which was made. I think we've got a picture. There it is, an old, it's an old 5th century ring. That was the, early, the earliest I could find. And the father, by giving his son the signet ring, he was restoring him. And if you thought the robe of righteousness was crazy, wait for this one. He was restoring his son to be able to make legal decisions on his behalf. <sighs> Whoa. He was saying, you now have the full weight, you have the power and authority of the family again with binding transactions and agreements on my behalf. This is the same guy who a few days earlier, a few months earlier, was squandering the family inheritance. This was, a, this was a public statement. The servants were watching on in the story. The Pharisees were listening in as Jesus said it. And they, were, must, have been, they must have been so confused, puzzled by the father. He was saying, this, this is the ultimate trust I can place in you as my son to represent me. This has had to have been shocking. It's shocking for us to understand, especially as they remember just how much the son had squandered of the family inheritance. 
The ring was once again a sign of restoration. It was a sign of covenant between the Father and the Son. As a child of God, you have the ring of authority again. I am yours and you are mine. 2006, Chantal and I, we got married in Drayton Hall. Well, you teen challenge lads, we got married there. And we placed rings on each other's fingers. Crazy thing is, Bob, our photographer, Bob, who was meant to do the job, Bob didn't do the job. He never even got a photo of the the ring going on. But anyway, God bless you, Bob. He also wanted cash at the end of the day. That was another story, but... So we placed rings on each other's fingers in Drayton Hall and this was a covenant between us. When we we placed that ring on each other's second finger, this is a covenant that says we now walk in authority as husband and wife. We are now the Norman family. We represent each other. We are no longer two, we are one. And as followers of Jesus, our heavenly father, as children of God, he has placed a ring of authority on us. Luke 10, 19 says, behold, I give you authority to trample on serpents and scorpions, which means overcome every challenge that might come your way and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. God has given you authority. God has given you authority. We need to write this down. Favor always carries authority. When God gives you favor, authority comes with it. Authority to lead, authority to lay hands on the sick and watch people recover. God has given you authority. When someone comes to you and shares their troubles and their heartaches and their sickness, don't just have a sympathetic ear, have a miraculous hand. Oh, poor you. Woe is you. No, God has given you authority to lay hands on the sick person at university, to lay hands on the sick person at work, and say, right now we're taking authority. We're going to believe by the power of Jesus invested in me that as I lay hands on you, we will see sick people healed. We will see dead people raised. We will see debts cleared. There is an authority given to you. And as the father placed the ring on his son, he says, you are no longer... A runaway. You are still my son and I give you authority. When was the last time you saw a miracle in your workplace? When was the last time? Because I'm believing for a breakout of signs and wonders in the church. But unless you have authority, you will not walk in authority. You've got to understand your authority. You see, when you have, a walk, when you have authority, you walk differently. You talk differently, you act differently. I want to encourage you this week, walk into meetings with the authority of Christ. Speak with the authority of Christ. Listen with the authority of Christ. Walk in God's favor this week. Expect it. I expect God to bless my family this week. I'm expecting favor in a famine this year. I have the ring of authority. I am his child. I am his son. Come on, is there anyone who says I'm going to walk in his authority 
this week. God, I expect good success this week because I have the authority of heaven. You promised that you'd open up the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing. I'm unable to contain the increase, so I walk in it. I'm blessed when I come in. I'm blessed when I come out. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the city. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. I walk with the authority of God. If you don't know your authority, you'll not walk in it. The robe of righteousness of the team come up. The ring of restoration, number three. The sandals of sonship. Verse 22, it says, and the sandals on his feet. The son had no, no sandals, no shoes. He'd been walking for days. His feet were battered, bruised. But as I look at this story, I think a pair of sandals is quite trivial to the ornate robe, the best robe, and then the the gold signet ring. And then I feel like the father's just slinging in a pair of sandals just to make him feel a bit better. You ever got someone a present, you try and find something just to fill the bag? You know, you just want it to look a little bit more, and I feel like he's just put sandals in the bag to make his son feel a bit better. Again, in the culture of the time, Slaves and servants would go barefoot in the master's house while the sons would wear sandals. The father calls for the sandals. As he calls for the sandals, he's saying, Son, you're no longer a slave. You're no longer an outcast. You are still my son. It's interesting that the son was assuming what the father was going to do. Because as he's in the pigs, with the pigs, he's saying, hey, maybe I'll go back to my father. Maybe I'll just be a servant. So when he came home, the last thing he was expecting was a pair of sandals. He'd already settled in his mind that he was just going to be a slave. Some of you are settled for being a servant. Some of you have settled for being a slave. And God says, I want to elevate you to sonship. I want to elevate you again. You've settled in the job. You've settled in the, in the situation you're in. You've settled in the climate we're in right now. And God's saying, I want you to step up. I want you to speak favor, even in a famine. And the father calls for the sandals. He says, you're no longer a slave, an outcast. You're my son. Now this was real unfair favor because even the servants had been more faithful than the son. And the servants must have been watching on, going, hang on, I've served faithfully. I've done everything you required and your son goes off, he spends everything that he should have invested and saved. Yet you put shoes on his feet. Because the father wanted to show the servants, he was still my son. God wants to bless you in your workplace because you're his children. Some of you are going to get promoted this year and you will not be qualified for it. Some of you are going to get increases. Some of you, God's going to bless you. And it is not because of anything you've deserved or earned or qualified. It's simply because God says, you're my child in that office. You love me. God's going to bring unusual favor, unfair favor over you and your business. And it is not because of anything you deserve. It is unfair favor. The moment we start thinking we're good enough, God takes his hand off it. This church is a story of unfair favor. 
We barely even got through Bible school. We messed around and fell in love. We did. We just messed around and fell in love. And God says, unfair favor. Unfair favor. We are his sons. We are his heirs. First Chronicles 17, 13 says, I will be his father and he shall be my son. And I will not take my loving kindness away from him. I am a child of God. I want you to say that right now. I am a child of God. The shoes symbolized, you're my son. You can walk in favor. You can walk in divine favor because you are still part of the family. You know, a robe and a ring, although symbolic, are not that practical. They're not that practical, are they? I mean, you actually don't need a robe or a ring to get through life. But the shoes were practical. What the shoes said was this. It said, son, I still care for your practical needs. I still care for your everyday needs. When he, who knows you need shoes? I hope you've all got shoes on. You need shoes. We need shoes because it helps us get through our everyday. And as the, the father gives his son the shoes, what it said to the son is this, you still have access to the family provision. Wow. Even though you've squandered it, you still have access to it. When I left for South Africa in 2008 with Chantel, we drove and said goodbye to mum and dad at 42 St. Walsons Road where we used to live. And dad gave me a key. I've still got the key to this day. And he said, whenever you're home, he says, here's a front door key. And he says, whatever you need, there's always a bed for you. If you're there for a year, three months, whatever it is, that key, it represented two things. It represented protection as in a roof and a bed. And it represented provision. There was always food in the pantry. God has given you the shoes of provision in 2023. You will be provided for, you will be protected. You've got to walk in favor. Shoes aren't made for the cupboard. Shoes are there to be used. And as the son put those shoes, those sandals on his feet and began to walk, it was a reminder that God would take care of every single one of his practical needs. Do not look at your lack today. Look at God's supply. My God, Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all. That word has reappeared again. All my needs according to your boss at work. According to government. No, 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 no. According to his riches in glory. You will never lack supply in 2023. On Friday, I was taken out for breakfast with my, by my good friend, Reverend Ian Dybel, who is just a brilliant, brilliant individual and uh, does a little bit of help me in coaching and mentoring and just speaks into my life. And <laughs> we, were sitting in, we were sitting in Bill's having breakfast and I was t- t- he was talking to me about the new building and talking about some of the challenges and you know the 
what we need God to do. And he, he just stopped me and he said, John, he said, with God, he says, never look too far forward. He said, in fact, never look forward in your diary. He said, look at today and look backwards. And he said, over the last six years, has God always met you where you're at with the new building? I said, yeah. I said, and today, he said, today, is every need met for today? I said, yeah. He says, do you think anything will change in the next 12 months? I was like, yeah, nothing's going to change. Some of you, you're so worried about the future. Why don't you just take a look back at the last few months, the last few years, instead of looking to, the Bible says, take no thought for tomorrow. If God cared for you yesterday, surely He'll take care of you tomorrow. We have nothing, nothing to worry about. God has placed the shoes of His provision over you. When He gave them those sandals, when He passed in those sandals, that young boy knew that he wouldn't be eating pig's food anymore. God was going to get him through. God was going to handle it. C.S. Lewis said this. He said, the only things you should worry about is now and eternity. He's a wise man. Can I just say this as well? God will use some unusual ways and often some unusual people to get you through. But he will. David, God's going to use some unusual ways to get you through this year. You and Caroline, but he will. He will. You're going to look back and say, oh my goodness. Do you know God even used the pigs to get the prodigal through? Was, was the pigs a roast dinner? Was it what he wanted at the time? No, but it was enough to get him through to the next season. It was enough to get him back on the road, to get him back to the, heart, the Father's provision. Sometimes, God, you'll go through moments where you'll feel like there's next to nothing, but there'll always be just enough to get you through. There'll always be enough to get you through to next day. The jar will not run dry for you in 2023. God will get you through the famine. And the son came back knowing there was provision in the father's house. This is interesting. The son didn't ask for shoes. He was supplied with shoes. God knows what you need. God knows exactly what you need. You know, God knows exactly what we need for this new building. I don't need to keep begging him and asking him. He already knows what we need. So I expect shoes to arrive this week for our new building. Shoes, provision for the new building. Shoes of provision for your business. Shoes of provision for your family. Shoes of provision for your pantry. Shoes of provision to pay your energy bill. Shoes of provision. You've got to expect shoes to arrive in your cupboard this week. And the only thing on you is to walk in them. These shoes represented God cares for your practical, everyday needs. Provision is yours this week in Jesus' name. I encourage you, refuse to worry. Matthew 6, 25, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air, soul church. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father knows to feed them. We have nothing to worry about. Look back. 
Did He look after you? Did He supply you shoes in 2022? He's going to put shoes on your feet in 2023. We've got to walk in them in Jesus' Name. Come on, why don't we stand to our feet? Why don't we stand together? If you're at home, why don't you stand with us too? I'm going to pray in just a moment, but we're going to pray that God will place the robe of righteousness over this. His grace, His grace is yours this week. The ring of restoration, His authority is yours this week. You have His authority. Favour carries authority. And the sandals of sonship, you have His precision provision this week. It is yours. I'm believing that God's going to get ready to bless you with unfair favour. Unfair favour. Come on, is anyone believing God for some unfair favour? Don't allow religion, religion will say, don't put your hand up. You don't deserve it. Religion will say, you, you, you've messed up. Don't, don't you dare ask God for a favour. I'm asking God, do me a favour this week. Do me a favour this week. Not something I deserve, but because I don't deserve it, God. Do me a favour. God is getting ready to bless you. God is getting ready to pour His favour out afresh on you. In Jesus' Name. In Jesus' Name. You know, God's favour is going to frustrate others. You're going to be so blessed, it's going to frustrate people. And you're not going to be able to explain it. If I was the prodigal son, I would have keep quiet for a while. Because we ain't got time to talk about the party. We haven't got time to talk about the feast. God's going to bless you. It's going to be all over you. You've got to receive it today. Today the challenge is not is the robe, the ring and the sandals on offer, but will we receive them? Because every day we've got to allow God to put them on us, the Father. So I want you to literally get dressed right now. I want you to put on some spiritual clothes. Put on the robe of righteousness. Some of you, you're standing here today and you're carrying mistakes and shame and guilt. You're carrying the past mistakes and choices. And you come into church and you don't feel worthy, you don't feel good enough. So many people say to me, John, I'm not good enough to come to Soul Church. I need to get myself sorted. I need to get clean, then I'll come. You don't have a bath before you take a shower. Jesus is the bath. Jesus is the one who cleans you. You come as you are. Come in your filthy rags. Come in from wandering afar off. Come in. Come in. Come in. Welcome home. Welcome home. We can't make ourselves right. We can't make ourselves clean. But Jesus says, I'm going to pour my living water. You can cleanse and be purified in Him. And for others, you kind of know, you know that God's forgiven you and you know that, and you, but you're not walking in it. You're not walking in it. And today, I want you to walk in that authority. God's grace, God's grace is sufficient for all of us today. We've got to walk in His authority. We've got to walk in it. We need to walk with your shoulders back this week. Expect good success. Expect the phone to ring. 
expect, believe. Don't, well, John, I haven't studied hard enough. I've not done enough. I should have worked harder. God is not into any of that. God says, will you receive it? Will you receive it? Will you receive my unfair favour? Don't put God in the same box as society which says, if I come to church, will you do this for me? If I read my Bible, will you do that for me? God doesn't work on transactions. Often it's simply one-way love. Today, God is pouring out His love afresh. But will you receive Him? Come on, let's lift our hands. Let's lift our hands. Thank you, Jesus. The robe of righteousness. God is placing that robe over you right now. Whatever's happened, whatever you're carrying, wherever you've been, those thoughts, those memories right now, God is placing His robe of grace and forgiveness over you. Isaiah says, forget the shame of your youth. Often it's the mistakes we made in our, in our former years that create shame in our later years. And God is saying right now, forget the shame. Forget the shame of your youth. You are walking in freedom right now in Jesus' name. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. You cannot try and clear your name by working. You cannot try and serve or give your way out of this. You can freely receive the grace, the undeserved, the unmerited, the undeserved favour of God. Favour is unfair, but receive it right now by faith in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. John Newton said this. He said, I am a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. I'm a great sinner, but Christ is a great saviour. We've all messed up. We've all sinned. You're in great company today because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But this is not about focusing on our mistakes. It's about focusing on our Father who redeems us from our mistakes. And today you can walk in freedom. Maybe you grew up in a church that pointed out your shortcomings and told you what you should or shouldn't do and judged you. Maybe you, you, you treat God like you treat your heavenly Father, your, your earthly Father. Maybe you try and make Him happy by doing chores or doing things to make your earthly Father. And God says, none of that makes me happy. The only thing is to receive my love. It's a free gift today. And you can freely receive it by simply saying, God, I need a Savior today. I am a great sinner and I require a great Savior. And today, if you're saying, Pastor John, that's me. Whether you're watching at home, whether you're listening in the car over podcast, whether you're in the room here in person, you're saying, today, John, I am a great sinner and I need a great Savior. You're saying, today, I want to give my life to Jesus and receive forgiveness from my past and freedom for my future. I'm going to simply count to three and I want you to slip up your hand from the front to the back, from the left to the right, watching online, those in the room, I want you to slip up right now and say, John, pray for me. One, two, three. Just slip up nice and high. God bless you. 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 Amazing. God bless you. Now I'm going to ask you to do something really courageous. It's going to take a lot of courage, okay? I would love you. I'd love to pray for you personally. And I would love you can bring someone with you. Just step out of your seat. Just come and stand here. I want to pray for you. I'm not here to embarrass you, but I want to pray for you personally. So if you came with someone, you bring them. We're going to cheer. Come on. You come. You lads at the back. Over here. You, you come. That's right. Come as you are. If you lifted up your hand, you come. You come. Come on. We're going to give them a cheer. Come on. Let's do... 
shake every one of your hands and congratulate you on this decision. In fact, we're going to say it together. It's going to come up on the screen in front of us and we're going to say it out loud. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for dying for me to forgive all my sin and failures so that I can have a brand new start. Please come into my life. Help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to trust and to live for you. Amen. 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 Come on, let's congratulate. It's the power of God's grace. It's the power of God's grace. Just speak to a young man here. Grew up in church. He's been wandering for many years, but today he came back. Thank Jesus. Amazing. got hold of him. God's getting hold of people again. God's bringing people back. The prodigal's going to come back. I want to pray right now. If you've got a prodigal in your family, it could be a son, a daughter, a grandchild, you've got a prodigal. Just lift up your hand if you've got a prodigal in your family. If you've got someone near you with their hand up, would you just place gently place your hand on their shoulder? It could be a mom or dad. We're going to pray for prodigals right now. I know time's gone, but time went in the Asbury Revival and they're still going two weeks later. Your roast dinner can burn, but this moment can last forever. Come on, let's call out for the prodigals right now. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Father, we call out, we cry out to you. Those watching online, those who are distant from loved ones, those who are families, Father God, they're estranged. Those who are away from, from, from children who are away from you, we cry out to you. Merciful God, merciful God, loving Father, bring them back, Father God. Even when we got it wrong, Father, you do not judge us, you do not punish us, Father, that you would reconcile families and children to parents and parents to children. Reconciliation, Father. We thank you, Lord, that we will be standing together in your house, praising you. We trust you in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. One thing remains. His love never fails. Hopefully, if you've come down the front and someone's with you, and we'll make sure we get you a Bible. But if maybe if you lifted up your hand and you didn't come down the front, that's totally... By the way, it's not about your hand, it's about your heart. But if you, if you felt God just moving on your heart, our team will be outside with some Bibles and we'll help you take the next steps. You run a course here called Follow Jesus. We'd love to get you on Follow Jesus and help you understand more about the Christian faith and reading the Bible. But I want to just say one more thing about this message, and it's this. Receiving grace, even though it is hard, there's one thing harder than receiving grace. It's showing grace. And this week, I want you to show the Father's grace to those in your world. 
because there will be people who do not deserve unfair favour. But this is actually an opportunity for us to show our world, even show Christians, even people in our own family, unfair favour, which is what they don't deserve. And we've got to understand how God sees us and that's how He wants us to love others. They mess up, we punish them. That's how society is, but God says, I want you to reverse it. And when you reverse it, that's when people's behaviours change. When you give them what they don't deserve, that's what changes people. We've just been singing, your kindness leads people to repentance. So this week, I wanna pray one more prayer that God helped you and I show the robe of righteousness, will place authority in people's lives, what they don't deserve, and they would walk in godly provision. That could be you buy someone some groceries. That could be you are the shoes for someone else to wear. That could be this week that God is going to prompt you to do something to show those three acts, those trio acts of kindness to people in your world. So Father God, why don't we just stretch our hands one more time. Father, we thank you this week that you don't just show us grace and love and favour for us to experience it. You show it so we can help and others experience it. So we would be the hands, the feet of Jesus. We would place the robe, the ring and the sandals on those who need it most around us. We thank you that God, you will use us to bless and favour others in Jesus' name. And I pronounce over this church, unfair favour in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. God bless. Thanks again for tuning in. And if you said the salvation prayer today, we'd love for you to email connecttofaith at soulchurch.com so we can talk to you a little bit more about this incredible decision that you've just made. Yeah, you know, and if at any point in the service you felt moved to give towards any of our local or global initiatives, then head to soulchurch.com and click on the giving at the top of the page. Thanks again for joining us today. And we hope to see you again soon. God bless.